Our body is actually designed to be controlled by hormones. They rule the roost and there is no way around them because that is what allowed us to be the most prevalent animal living in every possible environment on the world. We're like the nutria of the planet. Welcome to this functional life. It's your host, Betty Murray. It is time to get geeky, where I step away from the interviews and give you some brain candy science in bite-sized pieces in a way that's easy for you to understand. It's going to be me and you today, and in these short targeted episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, and the topic du jour in a more quick and actionable way. I go all out with the geeky, wrap it up with a bow, and share some sass as always. This is all for you to live an exceptional life. Let's get started with this functional life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this functional life. And today I'm very excited. I want to share some information with you about some of your hormones. And I think a lot of misinformation gets shared out there about the interaction between thyroid and the function of your body and particularly adrenals. And so I want to go a little deeper into this because my clinical practice over 17 years What I have found is that many, many women in particular come into me and they've either been diagnosed with a thyroid problem or they're pretty sure they have a thyroid problem and they haven't been diagnosed and they're still struggling one way or the other. They've got all the symptoms of low thyroid, but even if they've been given medication, it may not be working the way they think it should and they're, they're getting frustrated, right? And I'm gonna share a little bit of my story. So I can tell you back in, I was right when I was kind of changing from my 30s to my 40s. If you read anything about my story, I went through a lot of health problems, particularly being diagnosed with colitis. And also I was just hormonally wiped out. A lot of it was probably due to the stress and the autoimmune activity, but I was hormonally wiped out. And I remember waking up every day And my eyes look like the Budweiser lizards. So, okay, because I I know you guys remember those, the ones that sat on the little tree and they were like, Budweiser, right? I looked like that. My eyes were swollen and they almost looked like I had some sort of allergic reaction, but it wasn't really that. It was that I wake up every day with this extraordinary edema. I started losing the outer part of my eyebrow. I was having extraordinary water retention. So I'd wake up and my wrists would be swollen and they, especially through the day, they would get worse. My feet would swell. And I was definitely having weight loss issues and weight gain, unexplained weight gain. And so much like anybody else, you go to a doctor to try and find out what's going on. Well, I'm immersed in the functional medicine model. It's why I'm there because I was having all these health problems. I was not only working on what I was going through, But I also had access to physicians and other individuals that were schooled in different forms of integrative or anti-aging medicine and functional medicine, very much a burgeoning model at that point. So I, I go to the doctor and I get my lab tests and I'm told that my thyroid looks relatively normal, but maybe I have a conversion problem with T3 and I'm going to walk through what that really means. So it means that the active thyroid hormone is a little bit low. So I get given thyroid hormone. Now, if I'd gone to a conventional doctor, they would have never given me hormone because my TSH, which is the lab value that most people check, was completely normal. It means that the pituitary had no idea there was a problem, right? So I was given thyroid hormone. I was given first, I was given armor thyroid and I took it and, you know, my edema got slightly better, but I didn't have any weight loss. I didn't 
feel any better. My fatigue was still extraordinary. I didn't have any marked change. My eyebrows didn't grow back in. My hair wasn't getting thicker. I had no real obvious change. So then we switched to another set of thyroid support. So we switched at the time to WP thyroid, which is no longer around. Try that for a little while. It doesn't really work. Then we start increasing the dose and we go up rather high. So relatively high run labs. And guess what? My T3 level hasn't changed at all. It's never gotten into the right range. Then we try compounded T3. So I'm going to take straight T3 from a pharmacy and I'm going to walk through what all that means. My hormones never change. And so I'm on this roller coaster for years, taking a thyroid hormone, but not really feeling the effects of it. And I knew for myself, I was like, okay, I may have a little bit of a thyroid problem, but we are obviously missing the boat here by just giving the medication because something is making it not work because my level of the active hormone was still not great, but it wasn't like completely in the tank. But my body's experience of that hormone was severely lacking, right? So what I want to walk through today is the other things that you may never have heard about that impact whether your thyroid hormone gets made properly, the active one whether it gets utilized properly, and whether your cell can actually accept it. And we're going to talk about that because I know with the thousands of women I have helped in my clinic over the last 17 years walk through hormonal problems, that this right here is probably the biggest reason why somebody has low thyroid symptoms and maybe have completely normal labs, or they may be on medication, but they're not getting any positive effect from the medication, and they really feel like it's not doing much at all. So let's get into it. So we're going to talk about thyroid hormones and cortisol. Our thyroid, which is that little butterfly-shaped organ right up here on your neck, it makes a hormone called T4, lyothyronine. The way it makes that hormone is it receives a notice from the pituitary. So think of the pituitary as the conductor of the symphony, and your thyroid gland is the wind section. And so the pituitary is going to talk directly to the thyroid and tell the thyroid to go. And when the thyroid gets the message, it turns around and makes T4. So essentially, think of it this way. The thyroid cut up a bunch of firewood, put it on a rack on the front porch. So it is totally available, but it isn't doing anything to heat up your house sitting on the porch, right? So T4 is available. So T4 has to be transported. So it gets in a taxi cab and circulates around and it gets dropped off. When it gets dropped off, it gets dropped off in key tissues. So it gets dropped off in key tissues like the liver and the muscle cells. And it has to go through a conversion process. So it has to get converted to the active thyroid hormone, which is lyothyronine T3. So T3 is your active hormone. That conversion process is very much dependent on things like selenium, zinc. Factors that require are required for even just making hormones are the things that you think about, like iron, iodine, your vitamin B2, B3, B6, vitamin D, vitamin E, selenium. So you have to have the right nutrition, right? Which is why I pay attention to it as a nutritionist, because so much of what your body needs requires good nutrition. So we have to have the right stuff on board. So We want to make sure we have the right ingredients to make T3 out of T4, but there's a couple caveats to that. So in mice and rodents, T3 is converted heavily in the liver. Well, in humans, we make it in the liver, but we also make it in the muscle tissue and the mitochondria. 
So one of the important things is we have to stimulate muscle tissue to get conversion. So one of the first thing that happens when we are tired and fatigued, guess what? We don't feel like doing a damn thing. We want to sit on the couch because we're tired, right? So we're not stimulating our muscles. So we're going to turn off one of those metabolic engines that help with the conversion of T3. So let's say we made T3. Once we make T3, it's going to circulate around and it's going to go click into the cell like a key and it's going to turn up the metabolism. So it's basically going to turn on the power plant and speed it up, right? So it's kind of like turning on jet propulsion. The body can also make a little thing called reverse T3. So reverse T3 is an inactive sort of fake skeleton key that can slide into that slot at the cell and keep the other T3 from working. Now, in the research early on, there was a lot of interest in reverse T3 and we thought, hey, this is going to be too high in people and this is maybe the reason why people's thyroid isn't working. And there are some in literature that do that, but routinely you'll see somebody with relatively normal T3 levels and even they're in relatively normal reverse T3 levels, but they still have low thyroid symptoms. There's a ratio between those and even the ratio may often be normal. Senior citizens, people over 65, we start to see a, a more common production of reverse T3 because reverse T3 that often gets amplified in things like trauma, very low calorie diets. So those people who've been yo-yo dieting, you know who you are, stress, trauma, toxins. If you've got chronic infections, if you've got kidney or liver disease or things like that, that would do it. And some of our medications would do it. So we see it more in senior citizens. So reverse T3 is important, but it isn't the harbinger of doom that people often say it is because often when you look at the labs, they look totally normal, right? So the important thing to know here is we want a lot of T3. We need adequate amounts. We don't want too much. Too high of thyroid is bad. It makes your heart beat. You get palpitations. You get sweaty. You lose bone density. Yes, you lose weight, but you're also going to lose muscle and a bunch of other things. It is not pleasant. You don't want hyperthyroid. And the other part that is the holy grail of thyroid function, and this is going to be a, a big part of what we're talking about today, is whether that thyroid hormone actually works once it clicks into the cell. Can it actually turn on the cell? That is really dependent on vitamin A and zinc. Exercise, like I said, not only stimulates some of the conversion of T3, but also stimulates the utilization of it. So sometimes we have to get up off our butt and do some things to help our body work its thyroid out because if we're sedentary, it actually makes it worse. So that is completely problematic. So the other thing that we need to look at is we have hormones that play together. The reason why I use the symphony as an analogy for talking about our hormones is because the symphony has a wind section. It has a brass section. It has a percussion. It has the strings. So there's a bunch of different parts that control the body. And when I work with people in my hormone reset program, Part of the hormone reset program is often we're using it in women who are perimenopausal, menopausal, but we have to reset the entire symphony. It's not just one part. We have to make sure that all the right hormones are working because they play together. So if you have a symphony where the percussion, the drums are playing scat jazz and everybody else thinks they're playing a waltz, it's not going to sound good. And so the body has to keep this in harmony and the hormones are always adjusting to make the symphony sound better. So the big thing that we have to remember is that there are hormones that interplay with our thyroid hormones. And the most important ones we're going to talk about today is cortisol and cortisone. So cortisol is known as the stress hormone. 
and it is the secondary stress hormone behind fight or flight. So fight or flight is actually a product, the sensation of it, of norepinephrine and epinephrine that rush in automatically when there's some sort of startle response, something that requires an amplification of the stress response, often things you don't think of, right? So if I am sitting in my car and I see a car come barreling at me and I gun it really quickly on the gas pedal to try and get out of their way, I'm not sitting and having a lot of thought around that. I'm acting because I'm having a rush of noradrenaline or epinephrine and norepinephrine. After that stress response, we have cortisol that actually rushes in and buffers that. So cortisol originally is a buffering agent, sort of calms the stress response down and modulates it. The problem is, as Westerners, we live a stressed out life where we are pumping the cortisol gas pedal all day long, every day. So I've got a little statistic for you that I'd love for you to ponder for a moment. Did you know that in the wild, any mammal, you can check any mammal in the wild, you will never see a high cortisol except for one condition and one condition only. And it is when that animal is starving and they need to forage for food outside of their normal feeding window. So for example, if rats are nocturnal animals that feed in the middle of the night, and if you're out walking down the street at noon and you see a rat out eating, that means that rat was not able to get its nutritional needs and food needs completely accommodated at night and they're out foraging outside of their normal hours. It's to keep you awake and searching for food more, right? So the first thing is cortisol causes weight gain because it causes a huge metabolic effect across the body. Because to the body, it looks like, feels like I'm stressed out and there's no food on the Serengeti. Okay, so you got to remember that about cortisol. Cortisol tells the body I'm starving. In a body that's millions of years old, what do you think the body is going to do when it thinks you're starving? It's going to turn down the metabolic engine. So it is going to do things that mess with your body's ability to actually use its thyroid. So that means that cortisol, if it's high, especially for a long, prolonged, protracted period of time, it is going to mess up not only your insulin, which means your metabolic control of glucose and how you burn glucose so you store more fat. It's going to mess up your thyroid function, and it's also going to mess up your fertility and your sex hormones, right? So cortisol is really important. And when we look at it, we look at cortisol really in two major ways. The first thing we look at is what they call free cortisol. So like I said, the thyroid hormone has a driver. T4 has a driver called thyroglobulin that picks it up and dries it down the street and drops it off. Cortisol, just like that, gets out and available, gets out of the taxi cab, does its work very, very quickly, and then gets metabolized. So free cortisol, the stuff that's outside of the car, actually circulates around and less than 5% of the cortisol circulating at any given time is free and unbound, right? So about 80 to 90% of your circulating cortisol is still in the cab, right? And it's in cortisol binding globulin and albumin. Important thing to know is only free cortisol can access the enzyme transporters in the liver, the kidney, and other tissues that mediate metabolic and excretory clearance. So free cortisol gets to do its work. And it only represents about 1% of the total cortisol production. So that's really important. So the other thing we need to know is if we look at cortisol levels in the blood, they're gonna vary quite a bit, but generally they're pretty high in the morning when we wake up and then they fall throughout the day. 
And the human body produces cortisol first, then different glands have the ability to keep it as cortisol. And then particularly in our fat cells, we can convert it to cortisone, which is an inactive form. And then we can switch it back to metabolize cortisol and use it. So our body can flip cortisol back and forth, right? So we have a mechanism to sort of control the overproduction, but it often gets broken in our Western lifestyle. So let's talk about metabolized cortisol. So not the stuff that's free, the stuff that has been used and then is metabolized. Cortisol is metabolized into 5-alpha tetrahydrocortisol and 5-beta tetrahydrocortisol. And cortisone is metabolized into 5-beta tetrahydrocortisone. I'm going to quiz you later, so you better remember those and know how to spell them. Since all the production and output originally started as cortisol, the cortisone metabolites are added when we evaluate metabolized cortisol. So it's important to be able to look at these and, and figure out how much you have, right? So basically we take the 5-alpha cortisol and look at it, and then the 5-beta cortisol and cortisone and look at it. So here's the important thing. When we look at thyroid problems, thyroid and cortisol interact together. For example, hypothyroidism is your thyroid running slow, but it's also going to slow the clearance and deactivation of cortisol, right? You're going to have more cortisol active. You're going to have more stuff going on. So right there, if you're hypothyroid and stressed out, guess what's happening? Cortisol is circulating at a higher level and your ability to clear it is going to be problematic and your ability to deactivate it and make it no longer active is going to be a problem, which is going to make you store more fat. So the other thing, if metabolized cortisol is not really high, we also may have very high free. So sometimes we look at this in urine. We use a urine test that's over the course of a day to look at it. So a lot of times when I see somebody super stressed out, their free cortisol is like off the chart. They're, you know, living like a rock star life without the party, you know, so it's high all the time. But if you've been doing that for a really long period of time, your cortisol can actually, your free level can be low, but you have a lot of metabolized cortisol, right? Meaning that you don't have much out there doing its job and circulating, but you have a lot that you have metabolized. And what happens is these things start to really stress out your other hormones right? So it'll cause them to be out of whack. And so the important thing to know now is we need to also be able to look at metabolized cortisol. And so this is really important. So the metabolized cortisols, 5-alpha tetrahydrocortisol and the 5-beta tetrahydrocortisol and cortisone is really important. So if your metabolized cortisol, the beta versions, the cortisol and cortisone is too low, we will probably have high free cortisol and low metabolized cortisol, right? So I'm not going to have a lot. This sometimes can slow cortisol clearance, maybe due to the fact that we actually have hypothyroidism. In some cases, it may also influence a lower T4 level and a lower T4 level will also lead to lower metabolized cortisol. And when the thyroid slows down, the clearance of metabolized or cortisol throughout the liver slows down. And as a result, free cortisol starts to increase and may then eventually start to elevate, right? So if it's low, that's a problem. So what happens if it's a low free cortisol and low metabolized cortisol? So you're kind of flatlined. You can't make enough to be free and you don't have enough to metabolize. And that person, just so you know, is going to be wired and tired and probably, pardon me, a little bitchy right? We're just not going to have a lot of deal with the chemistry. We can't take the small things because we don't have a lot of stuff. So we're going to have 
extreme fatigue, decreased appetite, maybe hyperpigmentation, maybe even low blood pressure or times of low blood pressure, salt craving, hypoglycemia, where it feels like your blood pressure or blood sugar is dropping. You may, if it gets really pronounced, have nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, abdominal pain, muscle and joint pain. You're going to be highly irritable and fatigued. And in many cases, if they're all really, really low, we can see some weight loss. But I can tell you that is not always the case because it depends on what was happening the years, if not decades before. And if it was really high for a long time, there is a dysfunction that will continue to perpetuate. So don't think that just because you haven't experienced weight loss that this can't be going on because it can. And often at this point, we might see hair loss all over the body and particularly sexual dysfunction in the women. So then the question becomes, all right, so if they're low, low across the board, all kinds of bad and your thyroid is going to be slowed because of it. And if your thyroid is slow, it may be contributing to it. Now, if you metabolize cortisol, the 5-beta tetrahydroxy cortisol and cortisone is too high. What happens? So let's say we have high free cortisone and high free cortisol and high metabolized cortisol. So that means we have just way too much cortisol. So it's a general sign that we're going to have probably weight gain, particularly around the midsection and upper back. So if you're getting sort of the fat wing weight gain up around the upper part of the ribs, which I remember I was getting a lot when all of my problems were going on, weight gain and rounding of the face. So the swelling of the face, rounding acne, thin skin, easy bruising, flushed face. So you look kind of red in the face. You may not heal as well. You may get muscle weakness, severe fatigue, difficult concentration, maybe even high blood pressure and even headaches, right? So that's going to be a problem. What happens if you have low free cortisol and high metabolized cortisol? So this can be seen in people that may have too much thyroid, right? So they might have too much thyroid. So they have a lot of conversion of metabolized cortisol, but the free cortisol is dropping. They can have high insulin and obesity, right? So I can have obesity because my free cortisol is high. And I can also gain weight because my metabolized cortisol is high. And this is usually a sign of long-term stress. And when somebody gets flatlined where they're all low, that is the end point of that long-term stress. So when I have higher levels of metabolized cortisol compared to the free cortisol, that's where the adipose tissue is likely pulling cortisol from the binding protein, from the taxiclab, and allowing for metabolism and clearance. The adrenaglon has to keep up with cortisol in excreting it. So cortisol production is often quite high, right? And again, that's going to be seen in that metabolized level. And even though free cortisol may not correlate with that weight gain or BMI, these people are often misdiagnosed as having low cortisol production, particularly if they're only looking at saliva when only free cortisol is measured. And increased cortisol clearance may also be seen in hyperthyroidism. Well, here's the thing that's really important. When I have a lot of metabolized cortisol, 5-beta-tetrahydroxycortisol and cortisone, and whether my free cortisol is high or low, I am going to have a relative blocking of my receptor for my T3 on my cell to work. And it is one of the mechanisms in which the body is trying to conserve energy and adapt to a low food environment. So you're probably saying, well, Betty, I don't have a low food environment. I have plenty of food stacked on my body in different parts that I would like to get rid of in the form of body fat. But you have to remember the millennia of 
mutations in our body and how we've adapted to the feast and famine and predominantly famine experience that we had, our body is adapted to basically see a high cortisol free and a high metabolized cortisol, regardless of whether free cortisol is high or low as a starvation state. And one of the mechanisms in which it causes weight gain is it blocks that thyroid receptor on the cell, not letting that T3 click in. And subsequently, it will also make you more insulin resistant at every single tissue, including the muscle, the liver, and the fat cells. So you'll store more fat. But here's the clencher. And here's what it was for me. I went on this thyroid journey and I am not exaggerating. It was over 10 years of different thyroid medications, different stuff, trying to get off of it, trying to get back on it, trying to find the right amount. Never did my T3 levels really, really get any substantially better until I addressed this problem. And so what was happening to me is I was getting blocking of that thyroid hormone. So no matter even if I took T3, the mechanisms behind that were affecting the amount of free T available. And it was affecting whether that cell actually worked. So the reason why I'm telling you this is I know, I know from my clinic, I know from the questions I get online, I know from the questions I get from the podcast that many women are like, I know I have a thyroid problem. And I'm here to tell you, you do, but it may not show up in your thyroid labs and you have to be able to look deeper. And when I really started looking deeper and deeper into these hormones, particularly when I went back to my PhD program and really immersed myself in the hormones and the microbiome and how we metabolize them is when I really started to understand this. And that's why I, we spend a lot of time in my hormone reset program, really trying to address these other hormone imbalances that are actually affecting your metabolism because weight loss isn't about, we're not a bank account. We're not a simple math equation where you put in $10 and you slowly take a deficit of $10 over time by working it off. That's not how the body works. Our body is actually designed to be controlled by hormones. They rule the roost and there is no way around them because that is what allowed us to be the most prevalent animal living in every possible environment on the world. We're like the nutria of the planet. We are the most pervasive, invasive species. And it's because our body is highly adapted to be able to address anything that changes our environment to make us survive. So if you're struggling with your thyroid problem and you're wondering what the heck is going on, this may very well be part of your problem. It may also be involved with a bunch of other hormone problems, which we're going to talk about in my brain candy bit parts, but we have to address the cortisol thyroid relationship before we can really address anything else. And particularly if we're working on weight loss and thyroid maximization. All right. I hope that really made sense. And I hope you really enjoyed this brain candy bit. Gosh, I love sharing this stuff. So let me know what you think. All right. Catch you on the next one. Thank you so much for tuning into this functional life. You are why I'm here. And I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week.
Bye-bye.